0: I mean, we could come back, but I think this is it. He says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Messiah and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands and today the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is God's word. Okay, and we're finally at the end of of this thing. So, so far, working through uh, the basics of following Jesus, which I think is what Hebrews 6 is is getting at, what he calls milk and elementary. So far, we've covered repentance from dead works. Trust and faith towards God, instruction, we said before, baptisms, and then the laying on of hands. These are basic. These are uh, starting points, okay? So consider, the good news goes out, calls people to repent and believe in the gospel, and then they actually do it, right? Like, that's the hope. Okay? And they take that first step in repentance from dead works. They, they smash the idols, zip up their pants, return the money that they have stolen. And while doing that, they're exercising that second basic of, of faith towards God. Because they're repenting because they believe, they trust that God is reliable. His word is reliable to reward those who uh, uh, repent and turn towards him and to punish those who do not. Then they take the third step. Receiving instruction before baptism where the community instructs them in Jesus' basic teaching and ways. Probably a lot of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And they're given time to count the cost before they build the tower. Okay, say, so, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Before they are immersed. Then after they've counted the cost, they've gone into the water. They receive the laying on of hands by which they receive a, a new identity. They're prophesied over, they receive a measure of the Holy Spirit, right? I think this is makes sense. This is what the basics, the starting point is. So after these four things, what's next? Okay, where do, where do we go after someone has worked through these things? Well, according to Hebrews and according to the rest of the apostolic writings, the next thing a new disciple needs is eschatology, Okay. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is what they need to know. This is what they need to give themselves to. They need an end game. Okay? They need a clear picture of where history is going and a clear picture of how to reach that appointed end. How do I get to there? And this is just... Logical, I think, okay? Everything we've worked through so far has been the start of the race. Repentance, faith, baptism, receiving the Spirit through the laying on of hands. So, after you've started a race, what is the next thing you should do? Keep running the race, and then what? Finish it, right? You don't just start and go, is that it? Did we? No, you, you, keep, you keep running, and then you finish the race. I just had uh, my sister Omega was uh omega was so fast that later in life people were asking they didn't ask are you josh's brother they were asking me are you omega's brother right she was that fast and um her first track meet do you guys remember they the, the, they started the gun and omega took off and then she saw there were fans in the stands she was just <laughs> kind of running and waving that's not how we want to run this thing, okay? We want to run it like Senior Omega, just like, all right? So you got to finish the race when, once you start. You count the cost to build a tower, and then you actually build it, okay? You count the cost to build your new building, and then you actually do it, right? You actually move the dirt and do the stuff. And so the mechanism that the apostles use, that we want to use to help people, to get people to actually finish the race and get the tower built, that the mechanism is, is the end. The mechanism is eschatology. The apostles understood eschatology, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment as the driver of discipleship. The only one they use over and over and over and over is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Okay, So to spur disciples on in obedience and spur them on in faithfulness to Jesus to the end... They just emphasize two points over and over and over, okay? So if you sat down and you started in, well, you could read Jesus, Jesus does it too, but you sat down, open up Acts chapter 1, read all of Acts, read all the letters, you know, everything else after that, this is what you'll find over and over and over. They tell people where history is going, okay? It's leading to a climactic event generally known as the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. They tell them about that, and then they say, live accordingly. Live accordingly. Live in light of, of that day. So Acts 10, Acts 17 just lays it out perfectly. Um, they say Jesus is going to appear. You're going to be raised and you're going to be judged. So live accordingly. Right? It's just a basic, simple message. Moses did it this way. The prophets did it this way. Jesus did it this way. The apostles do it this way. And we're aiming to do it this way. Right? This is what we want to do is Press on each other, press on the world, that eschatology drives discipleship. Eschatology keeps us on the path and causes us to not just start the race, but keep running it and and finish it, okay? So what is eschatology? For first century Jews, this is where everything is going. For them, for us, history is speeding in one direction, okay, it's not doing... One direction towards a climactic and apocalyptic event generally known as the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus returns to the earth. And we actually believe these things. OK, so if you're not a believer and you're like, those people sound crazy. We know. OK, Jesus is returning to the earth and flaming fire to crush the serpent's head. Raise the dead, judge the wicked, reward the righteous with eternal life, new heaven and new earth, punish the unrighteous in a lake of fire, wipe tears from all faces and from Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Okay, Jewish eschatology is not I'll fly away or when we all get to heaven. Jewish eschatology is behold, I'm making all things new. Everything new and and all that stuff, people debate the order of it. But that's the general tone on the day of God. Righteousness is rewarded and unrighteousness is punished. Okay, this is where it's leading. So Daniel, just some sampling, Daniel 12 verse two. There shall be a time of trouble that has never been uh, since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people, Israel, shall be delivered. Everyone whose name was found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust. okay, who are dead. Uh, the dust of the earth shall awake to not be dead anymore. Okay, resurrection. Some to everlasting life in the age to come. And some to shame and everlasting contempt in a lake of fire. It's resurrection to life or to contempt. Romans 2, maybe you're more familiar with. He says, we know the judgment of God falls rightly on those who practice such things. Such things being the laundry list of Romans 1. Okay, the judgment of God falls on them. Do you suppose, oh man... That you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Okay, The the patience of God isn't so you'll just like, hey, he's approving of this. The patience of God is so you have time to turn. But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself when... On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment is revealed, the day of the Lord, right, this is what Paul is is getting at. Verse six, he will render to each one according to his words to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, not being dead anymore. He will give what eternal life to those who seek these things, basic principle to faith. Believes God exists and He rewards those who seek Him. To those who seek Him, He will give a resurrected body on a resurrected earth. Okay? Eternal life. Verse 8 But for those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Does that make, I mean, is that like, Easy, like some things in the Bible are hard to understand. That is not. All right, that's just, here you go, okay? Paul, And and it's not like linear detail here in Romans 2. It's just painting with broad strokes the common view of the end. Where is history leading, okay? So your life... This age is barreling full speed ahead towards the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus. So your life is either headed towards a resurrection unto eternal life. okay, not heaven, life on the earth or a resurrection unto eternal death in a lake of fire. This is eschatology. This is what author of Hebrews six says. This is what you need to know to stay on the path and finish the race. Okay, so that that's the what of eschatology resurrection unto Judgment. To those who seek glory and honor and immortality, they'll get it. To those who disobey the truth and pursue unrighteousness, they get that. Okay? Easy? Basic? Hebrews 6. Okay? So that's the what. Uh, uh, and having this, the point is having the vision, this vision of the future, okay, that how I live in this age actually matters and, and determines a lot of the age to come. It drives how you live now. Okay? It actually it affects how you think about every second of every day, and that seems basic, okay? But it actually receives um, a lot of pushback. That if you emphasize the day of the Lord, if you if you put so much uh, importance on the return of Jesus, the age to come, the resurrection, whatever, if you put too much emphasis on eschatology, people won't live in the present, okay? This is the argument; they'll just wait around for Jesus. And they'll be so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly, earthly good, okay? Have people perverted the message of eschatology and done that? Sure. Absolutely. Okay? But just because someone it, perverts it doesn't mean that we throw out the Bible, okay? It's, it's an unscriptural attitude. Emphasizing the end isn't meant to hinder discipleship and obedience. Now, it's meant to fuel it, okay? This is what's happening, Okay? And so the first way that eschatology fuels discipleship is through curbing wickedness, okay, energizing righteousness, and provoking sobriety. Hebrews does this a lot. Hebrews 4.11, let us then make every effort to enter that rest, the age to come, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, the age to come, and the resurrection and life everlasting. Hold fast to that without wavering, for God is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up each other to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other all the more. Why? Because the day's drawing near, right? That's driving my stirring you up and you're stirring me up is because we see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but eschatology, but fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. So Hebrews. Does this as eschatology drives how you live now. Uh, Titus two for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. OK, referencing Jesus work in his uh, life and teaching and cross and, and death and resurrection and ascension and spirit sending and promise of return. That's appeared. That's happened. OK, you've got it in your phone. It's in it's in almost every language in the earth. We know about this. What does this do? Verse 12, it instructs us to deny godlessness And worldly lust to live now in this age in a sensible, righteous, godly way in the present age while we wait for what the blessed hope, which is what something secret or something visible? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness, to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, who are what? super lazy and just waiting on him to return no eager the the return of jesus the blessed hope says no be eager to do good good works okay like looking forward to, to the blessed hope and looking backwards at jesus work doesn't make us spiritually lazy doesn't cause us to drift from faith the premise of jesus returning in glory and fire curbs our wickedness Right? It instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lust because we don't want to throw it into a lake of fire. Right? Like, why should I not sin? Because Jesus is coming back to deal with sin, right? It's not hard, okay? And the premise of Jesus returning energizes righteousness and instructs us to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age and makes us eager to do good works. Why? Because I want to get raised from the dead to live forever. Like, that's not hard to understand. It's really, It's hard to live, right? I don't want to make... I don't want to... Uh, it's so easy. No, it's very hard to live because we're stupid. Okay. Like, we know what, what this says. It's just it doesn't always connect in our brain and bodies and, and, and all the stuff. But, but But we know, okay? The blessed hope that the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, drives discipleship. It keeps us on the path. Okay, so long story short, focus on the end should cause us to love our spouses more, not less. Right. Because I'm waiting around for Jesus. No, it energizes good works. It it should cause us to be more diligent employees. Okay, because I'm going to be judged for how I lived in the body in this age. So if I'm a lazy employee now, why would God put me over anything in the You know what I mean? It it drives how you live. Now, it should cause us to be more honest in our dealings. Not less. It should cause us to be good stewards of our money more. Right? Well, it's all going to burn up anyway. What's it matter? It's like, no. He's coming to judge. He's coming to make a judgment on how you have lived your life with little things and with big things. Because you've been faithful over little, I will put you over much. Therefore, rule over ten cities. Kind of stuff, okay? Eschatology makes us eager for good works. Not indifferent. It's meant to drive godliness in our lives day in, day out, okay? But if you don't think about the end, or if you have no vision for the end, you have no vision for the present either. Okay? For First Peter 3, same thing. The context of... Sorry, I'm going so fast. I drank way too much water and I have to go to the bathroom. I didn't time it well, so... <laughs> The context of first Peter is that due to Jesus being raised from the dead, OK, their hope in the restoration of all things is now a living hope. Does that make sense? Like you've they've always had from Genesis three, they've always had a hope right, of, of resurrection and restoration and all the stuff. But up until Jesus was raised from the dead, everyone who has died has just been dead. OK, so it's like we believe in the resurrection, even though we've never seen anyone raised from the dead to live forever now jesus has been raised the apostles can say hey everything we've been saying since genesis 3 you can count on right because there's not a dead guy in the earth anymore so that means the inheritance that god has promised the 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 poor the mourners the meek right everyone in the sermon on the mount that promised inheritance is certain why is it certain because he's not dead anymore Okay, if he is dead, your hope is a dead hope. But if he is alive, your hope is a living hope. Okay, and we can trust the promises of of God. So, Jesus' resurrection just functions as a deposit that says, "Hey, if you like this one, there, there's more to come." Okay, so First Peter, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance. So, what is the inheritance? It's imperishable. Undefiled, unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Okay? So Peter says, now you do not have the inheritance. Okay? Is anyone in here not dying? No, everyone in here is dying. Okay? You don't have it now. It's kept for you in the heavens. So in the meantime, Before you receive your inheritance, verse 5, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation, for an inheritance, for a reward. When? When will you get it? That is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay? So I have a promised future. Okay, you If you're following Jesus, you have a promised future. Your reward is kept and guarded in the heavens. But on one day, the day of the Lord, the heavens will open and Jesus will bring his reward, his recompense with him. And then I'll get it right. This is what Peter is saying. So focusing on that is going to make me lazy and unfaithful in discipleship, right? Nope. Verse 13, therefore, in view of. Eschatology, In view of that future day. In view of the blessed hope. In view of the day when my body is raised from the dirt to eat the feast. Therefore, with your minds ready for action. Not lazy. Be sober minded. Set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you. When? When is it given? When is it brought to you? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. NIV, at his coming. Common English. When Christ appears. Set your hope fully on. On that, be sober-minded before that day. So this, over and over again, the return of Jesus, the day of the Lord, drives discipleship. It gives us sobriety about our lives. Right again, all the big things and all the li- little things. It prevents us. The day of the Lord prevents us from just walking through this age aimlessly, like our lives don't have any meaning or purpose. Okay, Brody, what's my preacher? Uh, what's my preacher trick? If people aren't paying attention, you talk about purpose, and they all go. Oh. But you're you're paying attention. I was just preacher joke for Brody. Okay, it's what it does. It really does. The end mattering makes now mattering. It, it gives it gives you sobriety about everything. If this age, if, if 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 this age is a game that we're trying to win, and winning means being raised from the dead to life everlasting you you got to have your head in the game, okay? Which means knowing that score is being kept and each possession matters, okay? You guys ever play pickup basketball? You know when it just turns to not fun anymore and garbage? When, when people don't know the score anymore, right? Because when you know the score and you're trying to win, like, hey, that possession mattered. It, it, it actually matters that I don't know who I'm guarding. It actually matters that I miss the wide open person. But when no one knows the score... You just playing? nothing's happening like n- there's no meaning to anything. OK, like who cares? There's there's no end game. There's no score. If you don't have sobriety about the judgment, if you don't think there are consequences for now, eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't work. OK, so he says, therefore, in view of eschatology, in view of that future day, Therefore, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Former ignorance about the resurrection and judgment, right? I didn't know about it, so I was just living aimlessly. Now I know about it. I'm not going to live like that anymore. Verse 15. But as the one who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. For it's written, be holy as I'm holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to what? What is God judged based on? Verse 17. Each one's work. Okay? You are to conduct yourselves in reverence, ESV, fear during your time living as strangers. So during your time in this age, live for the day when you will be judged. Eschatology drives discipleship, it curbs wickedness, it energizes righteousness, and it causes us to live our lives in a sober way. Okay? Second Peter. Second Peter three is, is Peter's riff on the intensity of of the day of the lord verse 11 he says since all these things are to be dissolved in this way since the fire of god is going to disclose every secret work and hidden thing he says since this is going to happen what kind of people ought you to be (laughs) right Since, since this is where everything's going how then shall you live if this is true And Peter, first Peter, this is a living hope. This is true. This is certain. Therefore, what kind of people ought you to be? Right. He's just tying the day of the Lord and everyday discipleship to like this is happening. What kind of people? And then he answers. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you wait for the day of God. Basic verse 14. Therefore, in view of that, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. The end game drives holy living. Now, it doesn't make this matter less; it makes it matter more. Right? It gives you more energy for your thing. This is your whole New Testament. Okay, every single exhortation from the apostles for how to live, how to follow Jesus, how to be disciples—every single one uses eschatology as the fuel. Okay, like seriously, open up Acts one to Revelation twenty-two. This is what they do. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Okay? Is that horse dead? Is it beat? Is it done? Okay. The apostles... One more time. (laughs) The apostles press eschatology on their hearers to curb wickedness. Okay? Like, Stoney's got a reputation at the school of, of being the mean teacher. Okay? He's also got a reputation of his classes not being disrupted. Okay. Why? Because there's actual judgment for misbehaving. Right. If you're going to be a turd in Mr. Faith's class, you're punished. There's a consequence for it. If there is no consequences, what are classrooms like? Absolute chaos. Right. It's the same thing. It curbs wickedness, having an end game It energizes righteousness, having an end game. Guys, I want to get raised from the dead. Okay, and, and, and I want to see people that we've lost, that have gone to sleep. I want to see them again. So it energizes righteousness now and it provokes sobriety. It makes me wake up in the morning, put my feet on the floor and say, okay, the day of the Lord is coming. There is a day of judgment. I have to treat my wife this way. I have to treat my job this way. Treat my family this way. My church this way. People who hate me this way. Because this is real. It brings sobriety. Okay? But second, and always relevant, the reason eschatology is considered basic to following Jesus, why it's in this Hebrews 6 list, is because eschatology allows us, girds us up to endure suffering. Okay? Back to Hebrews 6 what should be part of that instruction before baptism? I think that suffering will come. We have a new disciple. Wants to be baptized, what should we tell them? Hey, suffering will come. Trial will come. This life, this age, following Jesus is not easy. Before that day dawns, this age is an age of darkness. We need to tell people that as clearly as we can tell them. So they're not surprised when it comes. And so, how do the apostles disciple people to endure suffering? The same way they disciple for everything else. With the end. The resurrection and eternal judgment. So back to 1st Peter, this time in verse 6, he says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Okay? Our context is far removed from, from 1st Peter, but as a follower of Jesus, can you guys relate? Suffered grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire. So he says, suffering faithfully now, Brings what later? He says it may result in praise, glory, and honor. When? (laughs) At the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is is Peter's strategy for shepherding the flock through suffering? Seminars on self-care. Okay. Teaching them. They've already got everything that they need. They just need to have a little more faith and then things will be better for them. Does he tell them that? No. Not even close. The apostles have one message to those who suffer. Hold on. That's the message. Now you have trial. Now you have suffering. But now is not always. Things won't be this way forever. So stay on the path, Peter says. Jesus says. Paul says. Endure. Set your hope fully on the praise, glory, and honor that awaits the faithful when Jesus appears. This is how Peter disciples those who suffer. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now. Though not seeing him now you believe in him right basic principle two faith towards god though not seeing him now you believe in him and you rejoice in the midst of your suffering with inexpressible and glorious joy verse 9 why Why can suffering believers rejoice with joy inexpressible verse nine? Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls, which is what resurrection unto eternal life. And that man wiping every tear from your eye. So hold on and endure. This is what he's saying. Peter's counsel to those suffering in exiles to set their hope fully on the resurrection and on the coming age and nothing else. Or, if there is something else he didn't, we don't have that letter. This one says this: what about Paul second Corinthians four You know this one well, we are afflicted, and I wish Joe was sitting right there because he'd be Amen. like he would be hitting this hard. He says we are afflicted in every way, not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned da 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 da. da, da, da. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may be displayed uh, in in our body, so Paul says I'm suffering, okay? Different kind of suffering than we deal with, right? (laughs) But how does he cope with it? How does he deal? What's Paul's, all this is happening to me, not because I'm sinning, right? Paul's conscience is clean, he says, multiple times. Way too many times, I feel like. Like, Paul, you're kind of bad, you know? He says, my conscience is clean. How's he how's he deal with suffering? Verse 14. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. 16. Therefore, because we know that Jesus will return and raise us to life and wipe every tear and banish sickness and sadness and death. Therefore, we don't give up. How's Paul deal? How? How are you going to deal? In suffering and trial and tri- how are you going to deal okay, with this, with eschatology, with the end? Verse verse 16, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal. I don't normally read CSB, but that says absolutely in there. I like that. An absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen. We'll put our focus on the present age, but on what is unseen, the age to come. For what is seen, what's happening now, is temporary. Now is not always, but what is unseen is eternal. Resurrection of the dead, world without end, life everlasting. Whatever word you want to put there, this is where it is going. Now is not always into chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. God. An eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, in this age, in this body. We groan in this, and we desire to put on our our heavenly dwelling, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we're in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality, death, this age might be swallowed up by life. This is how you deal, guys. This is what curbs wickedness in you. This is what energizes righteousness in your life. This is what caused you to live this age like it matters. And this is how you endure suffering and how you endure trial. Okay? The apostles have no other mechanism to keep people on the path except eschatology. It's all they have. It's all we should have. We press each other. We encourage each other on a bad day. We say, hey, look, the resurrection of the dead will come. He will come. He will wipe every tear from our eye. He will make all things new. This is true. It's a living hope. There's not a dead body in the ground over in in Israel anymore. Okay, so hold on. And this is how we push each other when we see each other going off the path. Like, Hey, man, he's going to come in flaming fire and judge ungodliness. Get back on the path. This is how we do it. This is how we relate to each other. This is how we live. And it doesn't cause us to live lazily. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't cause us to uh, re- retract from engaging in the world. It causes us to do it more. Okay? Robert, would you come help us, please? So this is what we need to go on to maturity, which is the goal of Hebrews 6, right? Not to, just to stay in these things, but to grow. Okay? So if you're here today and you are not doing these basics, you're not repenting, you're not believing, you haven't been baptized and, and, and entered into the family of God, hands haven't been laid on you to receive a new identity and, and, and receive the Spirit of God, and you don't have a vision for the end, your life is, is just aimless. You're just waking up, doing the next day, doing the next day, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. If that's you today, we would plead with you to repent of your sins and believe in this gospel. Turn from wickedness, trust in the work of Jesus for eternal life. Trust in the work of Jesus so that on that day, when he returns, you are raised from the dead to live forever in life and joy and peace. Okay? If you have questions about that or, or anything else that was said today, um, and you're sitting next to a member of Christian Life Church, ask them. Say, hey, what is that about? They can tell you, okay? If you don't want to talk to them, you can talk to me, any of our other elders at the front here. Um, but don't leave today not trusting in Jesus. Don't leave today with your end being a lake of fire. Leave today with your end being a new heaven and new earth and new body and, and life forevermore. Let's pray.